I'm James Hug, and this is Outside the Glass. Outside the Glass is brought to you by SquashProShop.com, our source for equipment for racquetball, badminton, paddle tennis, and of course squash. They carry a great selection of squash equipment from all the top manufacturers at the lowest prices. Rackets and shoes, balls and bags, goggles and grips, they've got it all, and they offer fast and free shipping on orders over $25. For the best selection, prices, and service on the internet, visit squashproshop.com. Today, Outside the Glass is sitting down with Sarah Fitzgerald. She is the only person to have won a World Junior an Open World Championship, and a Masters, World Masters title. And she won five World Open titles. Today you get to hear um, the amazing story of her first and her last uh, world titles, getting her wisdom teeth pulled just before the first one, and the last one in Doha in 2002. Uh, Cutting it a little fine on the flight, arriving late for her match and uh, without any of her luggage. Um, It's quite a uh, legendary story. And now she's coming uh, to play in Charlottesville in 2018, uh, leading a group of uh, Aussies. And um, that'll be happening later this month um, down in Virginia in Charlottesville. So um, it's a great pleasure to... uh, to see somebody that that uh, legendary to uh, continue to get on the court and um, and play against uh, the best in the world, so we'll see her down in Charlottesville and uh, enjoy this conversation. Do you remember when you first played squash, or was it always part of your life? And so there wasn't sort of a moment where you distinctly picked up the game? That's an interesting one. A little bit of both. I remember distinctly being eight years old and playing. Mum tells me I was a bit younger. So, Hmm. look, she she was four times Australian champion, three times Victorian champion, and she managed a squash club of four courts. So I'm one of six kids. All of us were at the squash courts at some stage, either cleaning, working, right. waiting for mum, you know, pick up, drop off after it school. It was always part of your life. Part of it. Yeah. So at some stage, even probably younger than six, I was probably hitting a ball once or twice. But yeah. she remembers me being about six, but I remember eight, and I remember winning my first trophy, a club in-house club trophy, and that's when I knew I liked it. So the first trophy is what kick-started me, and I still have that trophy. Do you have that trophy? I do. I've kept it. And, um, yeah, so that was just the beginning, and I was really fortunate to have, uh, you know, obviously the club, but the people in the club who were all really helpful to this skinny little girl with pigtails, and um, I had a whole bunch of, uh, you know, big brothers and big sisters in the squash Mm. club, and... um, yeah, and then I was playing what we call pennant in Australia. You'd right, probably call pennant. it in-house or inter-club Leagues, or something, yeah. league. And and, um, and had a lot of fun with that. Um, you uh, lost in the finals of the World Juniors in 85. Mm-hmm. And if you scroll through the list of people who do really well as juniors, um, you know, whether in the British Junior Open... World, world juniors, um, et cetera. You know, a lot of them, that turns out to be their peak, and that was that was their their 
you know, height and, 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 you know, losing or winning, but, you know, often losing is, is really scary and uh, can really damage a, a junior permanently, you know, in terms of their professional career. So what do you remember from, it was in Ireland. Correct. So what, what happened or what, what do you remember from that period where you were rising up and... Well, the first thing was my team at the time was, um, I can't remember the team order exactly, but myself, um, Danielle Drady, Michelle Martin, and another girl called Sally Ann Robbie. And I think that might have been the team order almost. Um, and we went off to Ireland. We had absolutely no idea where we would stand <laughs> against the rest of the world. Had you ever gone overseas before? No, not to that level. I. At 14, I'd gone to New Zealand, so I kind of knew a little bit about across the pond, but nowhere else. This is my first ever big trip. And so when we got there, I think just through the history of squash in Australia and England, they kind of knew where to put us. Mm. And from memory, I think all the Aussies got seeded. Maybe I may have been given a 3-4 seed, but the rest of us were due to be knocked out quarters, semis. Mm. And we all kind of got through. And so we all came up against a, a bunch of the English girls um, or, or the, the players. Yeah. Um, and back then it was the women's and the juniors were held together. So we had a chance of playing some of the women's, from my memory anyway, I could be wrong, but I, we played some of the women's and we played some of the juniors. Right. We watched the team event and all this. And was it all played. at the Fitzwilliam? Or? Yeah, I think Fitzwilliam. <clears throat> it might have been Leopardstown as mm. well, split between the two. And um, now this is my memory of it. I could be wrong of it all. But um, anyway, I ended up playing Lucy Souter mm. in the final. And Lucy was already top 10 in the world in the women. And I can't remember quite how far she got in the main women's draw. But she, she was, she was playing doing good. <laughs> yeah. Same weekend. Did she? I, isn't, well, isn't, I can't remember She could have, yeah. I'm trying. I'm almost thinking you're half correct but yeah she was basically right up there in the women's as well so it was really difficult as this 16 year old who's gone overseas I'm like wow I'm about to make the final of this thing yeah and play someone who's already highly ranked in the women so in my head I wasn't I was sort of already half a bit uh, defeated and then um but yeah I was disappointed when I walked off because I thought you idiot I actually had a better chance than my result because I'm I was a bit starstruck by it all rather than right. just going out there and playing to the best of my ability so that's right anyway i learned from that um that's right yeah it's, easy, it it's like these later. expectations of yeah. like you know oh i have no chance and so then you don't have a chance because you you think correct that. and it wasn't until after it i was like you idiot i actually was in there to have done a lot better and i could feel it in the rallies but just because your head wasn't quite right yeah uh, you know you didn't win the rallies so you went home and then two years later... Um, it, yeah, we yeah. so we did Ireland, went to England for a, a bit afterwards, went home. I had to finish school. And then two years later, it was the World Junior Championships again, back to England. And mm. I'd finished school, but I was uh, going to head off on tour that year as well. So it was down in Brighton. So a couple of the English girls that were in, um, in Ireland... Uh, were there again, so we met a whole bunch of new girls, people like Senga McPhee, mm-hmm. Donna Vardy, who went on to make the final. Um, so I ended up beating Donna, and once again, the Australian girls did pretty good. We didn't win the team event this time. 
and then funnily enough Donna went on to win two years after me as well so um, she's one of the only juniors that did win a world junior that didn't really carry on so it was a mm. bit of a shame but whatever her choices were for life um, yeah. she didn't keep it up right um, was there a time when you were finishing school where you were sort of debating whether to turn pro and, and, and or you know how did that decision get made at 16, I'd moved from Melbourne to Brisbane to join the Australian Institute of Sport. Right. And so once that decision had already been made, um, mum and dad were in on that decision. They said, look, we think it's something you should do. Because uh, mum knew she could only take me so far with her coaching and expertise. Yeah. And it was under Jeff Hunt and Heather Mackay, so she's like, you got to go. Uh, so off I went. So it actually just became the next step. Right. It so, but, but going to the institute, going yeah. to the institute was the big step. Absolutely, that was the yeah. big step. And then when I'd finished school in December, um, in January, it was just okay, off you go. So, Heather Mackay took um, myself, Danielle Drady, and Michelle Martin away, and um, it was just the thing we were going to do because that was what the institute was setting up, setting us up for. And off we went overseas, had a ball, loved it. We all come home pretty hyped up. We knew we were going to keep playing. And then it was just natural after that. It all yeah. was just how our career lent, went. But I didn't actually remember sitting down going, this is what right. I'm going Plotting to do. It, it just yeah. kept happening, and I yeah. was happy to go with that. What was it like working with uh, Heather and, and Jeff? Oh, awesome. She was amazing. Yeah. So from when I was 16, you know, we used to have these battles. So she, she was still playing games with all of us. And first year in the Institute... Um, you know, she was beating us three love, and half of that was we were in awe as well as just, you know, she was that tough. And as we got stronger and learnt and then maybe we got to know her as, you know, a bit more personally, you, you're less scared of about it. Yeah. Right, right. And then, um, you know, each of us started to, to get a win over her. <laughs> she, um, was she kind of a, you know, a distant figure, a mother figure, a, a uh, you know, how did she coach you guys? Um, obviously spending time on court, off court, everything from sort of mother hen looking after us because she'd been overseas, she knew it all, could guide us. Yeah. Um, she was a friend as well, so yeah. she, um, yeah. she wasn't, we weren't totally, you know, oh my word, Heather's walked in the room, got to behave. It wasn't right. any of that. She was great, right. relaxed, really nice person, great to talk to, yeah. and was obviously able to guide us in moments of, Right, you know, she right. distress and whatever. So she coached me in the final of the World Juniors in, in 87. England, yeah. yeah. Were, so you, were you nervous before that final? A little bit because there's the expectation, you know, your, your name's moved to the top of the draw, yep. number one. You knew you should win. Uh, I'd already spent three months playing uh, on the tour. So was Donna your... was handy. She was very good, but right. I knew I should win. So that's hard I, as I well. Got through, yeah, but I got through it. What What was your ranking? Do you remember when you were playing? Were you in, you weren't in the top ten yet? I wouldn't think so. No, I'd say I was somewhere. See, there wasn't that many girls playing actually, so I right. may have been somewhere around up. twenty to twenty four after three months. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think after the first year or two years, all three of us Aussies were somewhere around twelve, fourteen, and eighteen in the world or something. But that was a combination of, there were a number of girls playing, but we were strong players. Right. We were good players to have earned those positions. Um, and you know what? I may have that completely wrong. That might be a little bit of a research thing, but 
Um, but uh, yeah. when you joined the tour, uh, you were 18. What what was the tour like? Uh, you know, there were a lot of events in Europe, and mm. and 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 uh, and you based yourself in 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 the UK, right? Yep, I was based in England. So through Liz Irving, she met a man called Mike Walton, who said, um, "Why don't you?" Bring the Aussies yeah. and yourself over here to a club in, called Caversham in Reading. In Reading, yeah. yeah. So we all went and based ourselves at Reading. It became like the Australian Institute of Sport base. Right. Brilliant. Thank thank the Lord we did because we all had a home as such. So where did you live? Did um, you have a flat? Yeah, we rented. Uh, so for the first couple of years, we'd rent houses in the area and all of us, like big enough houses, five bedrooms or whatever, and there's five or six of us all living in this place. And, of course, we're all coming and going. And That's right. The tour was very much Europe at that time. And I remember my first year, it took me to uh, Sweden and Finland. Uh, I went to Switzerland, England, and I think I did Ireland, mm. maybe. That was my first sort of tour. Right. And then, of course, you know, you, you do a year longer and we ended up with a trip an exhibition tour to Canada. Mm. Ended up playing world uh, hardball doubles in Philadelphia when I was about 20, 21, two. I had never seen hardball doubles in my life. Flew in and had to play. My partner was Ned Edwards. Um, and then, you know, then the stop in Asia got added on and slowly, slowly it built up. And so you, you played doubles countries. and yeah. you had no, I mean... The, I landed at... In Philadelphia. the overnight flight. It landed at... I don't know, eight in the morning and by 12 o'clock we had to play a match and I was partnered with Ned. He, we, all four of us went on court, had no idea, never seen it. The rules. The rules, the ball, <laughs> the shape of the court, didn't understand the movement or the angles. Right. And basically Ned said to me, you just stand here and hit anything. That comes near you. That comes near you and I'll do the rest. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and that was how it worked. Did you win? I think we won a match or two, but... When we played a couple who were obviously a bit more clued on than me, um, mm. they just pounded it at me and Ned couldn't cover everything. No, not the entire <laughs> He did court. his best. <laughs> it's funny, you saw him last night. I right? did, I yeah. did. Um, uh, did you play any hard... What year was this? Mm. Like 1990? So, uh, yeah, pretty early on. So yeah. there was still hardball being... Singles was being played or had the states switched no then. i didn't see any singles i'd heard about that yeah. um no yeah. to my knowledge i'd say singles wasn't really you active at yeah, all yeah um so uh the development of wispa you uh who who was the executive director this is before andrew well before Andrew. So, so what was um, happening with the I ended up getting on the board and it was mainly run by the players. We had a woman who was running the admin part mm -hmm. of it called Carol Wheeler. Mm -hmm. uh, Carol literally was working out of her home. Uh, oh, did we have an office? Isn't that funny? Jeez, oh, my brain's gone. Um, and then... That kept, uh, you know, like we were getting more and more efficient. We were growing. We're, the tour is expanding. More countries are coming on board. Yeah. Then it just happened to be this perfect timing where Andrew Shelley had probably just run his time at, at England the Squash. And he's yeah. like, right, I need to get a change. So he actually approached me um, and said, 
I'd like to get involved. What do you think? And it's like, oh, thank the Lord, yeah, mm. please. And so you sort of created the position. In a way, yeah. And it was, so Carol Wheeler was living, working down the south of London, somewhere in Surrey, Sussex, wherever it was. And, and Andrew was London. So it was like, okay, we can do this. And then, um, so he created a, an office and everything up in London. He obviously was able to then take everything over, organise the whole, you know, our bank accounts, our finances, and boom, he just did it. And then after that, all the pressure came off myself mm. and the players where the office just started to run without me trying to understand that and keep an eye on it. And, and, um, right. and things got even better because we were able to just do our job and he could do his. That's right. You know, I'm trying to write forwards for magazines and I'm like, I've got to go play a match and I'm about to get on an aeroplane and I'm like, you know, I'm writing a forward for somewhere, maybe a new country I'd never been, but Andrew already knew the, the people running it all. You That's know, right. It's just stuff like that. It's like, right. let him do it, you know, it's great. The, um, we, you got involved in like 91, 92 with WISPA, you know, helping run it? I think it might have been even 1990. Yeah. Okay, so in 1993, January 1st, the softball tour, the ISPA, mm. and the hardball tour... Uh, WPSA merged mm-hmm. and do you remember any discussion with WISPA about the fact that the, the, the men were merging and there was this big thing that they spent years discussing and negotiating and there was was the women tour like was there anything about well you know what happened in 2015 was, was that discussed back in 1992 Not 1991 that I recall but I don't think the women's hardball had really no, there wasn't. At all. No, there, there was wasn't. Nothing, but so. the women's softball, the WISPA, could have merged the way it did in, in 2015. Mm. It could have happened then. No, um, I, I don't remember any. Nothing really distinctive is coming to mind. But I think there might have been the fear of possibly losing our identity if we if we um, yeah. merged, certainly with the men's tour and things like that. And and I think maybe at the time it was the right thing to do to stay. Separated yeah. and independent, and we were doing okay. Uh, once again, the tour was growing, and I mean, I just remember all the different countries and events that started to Come keep out. adding on every year. And it's like, wow, this is not just a winter sport anymore. And right. you know, I'd been to the states um, and Canada once, sort of in in my first four years, and then by my fifth and sixth year on tour, I was in North America twice a year. Mm. So, you know, North America was really kicking on. So I don't, I don't recall anything specific. Possibly at the time it was the right thing. The men were making changes like 15 scoring. Right. Starting to discuss three referees. Lowering the tin. Yeah. Lowering the tin um, and right. all of this sort of stuff. And I don't know if we were ready um, to even have done that then. Yeah. And when you look at you know, what has happened since then, it's been the right thing. But I think maybe to have done it back then may not have been the right timing, but right. who knows? Well, it's who interesting because all the men say, oh, no, we never talked with Whisper. And, yeah. and I, you know, in hindsight, you look back about where Squash is now, you know, the parity with prize money, the joint, you know, you know, we're one of the few sports that have a, uh, the governing body is for men and women. And, uh, you know, all there's, it's just been incredibly... Um, you know, it's amazing to see where where it has gone and 
how strong and vibrant women's squash is. Mm. And I, so I'm like, well, what happened in 1992? Didn't you talk about it? And everybody's like, no, we never, so, we never no. brought it up. They say, yeah. No, I think the first real conversations of joining up started when Natalie Granger was, was there. And yep. she had those conversations. Right. So that's a very recent phenomenon, like the last two, three years, that's whatever right. it is. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so playing, uh, you you had a an amazing career of sort of ups and downs. Um, uh, the uh, you had this rivalry with Michelle that mm-hmm. was that was extraordinary, um, beating and losing to her in all kinds of uh, close matches and and you and you guys were living together or living in Reading together when you were young, right? She only based herself at Caversham for literally that first four months oh, okay. and of the first year. And then she moved on and went to, um, was it Colette's? And it was working with people like Dardia. Yeah. Dardia yeah, Bakri, yeah and right. So she moved out. So Michelle didn't actually stay there very long. Oh, okay. Um, right. And it was me and Danielle that stayed. Yeah. And then all the other others. Uh, were coming. Yeah. You name just about any Aussie, we all came through totally. that club. Yeah. yeah. No, Liz was funny about the... You know, what would happen there socially? Mm. And it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was really good. A real scene. It was a scene. The first one in '96 was when you had had your wisdom teeth out, mm-hmm. right? And you were like, um, "Nothing's going to happen here." And yeah. So about mm, two weeks before or something, I um, I was getting really bad pain, and my physio, believe it or not, who's my guru, I just said, "You're not going to believe it. I've got an issue." And he goes, "That's it. I'm going to get you organised." So he made a phone call. And he said, uh, right, you're in tomorrow. I'm like, how'd you do that? And he goes, oh, look, I know people. You're in tomorrow. Don't eat. Get them done. You're getting them cut out. Uh, okay. It was this in England or where Australia. were you? You were in Australia at the moment. Oh. Yeah. And um, So you did. So I literally got them pulled out. All four? Or all how many? four you at had once. four? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I actually had quite a good recovery. I didn't end up with a big puffy face and all the tragedy things that happened. Um but you, I still had about four or five days of no training, of nothing, and the way the timing was, I probably had two days before you left, two or three days, and then I left or something. So I remember the last thing I said to my sister was, "This is going to be a disaster. I'll just go and do the best I can." And she, I just remember her looking at me, just going, "Okay, bye," and that was Kylie, my eldest sister, and. Uh, Next thing I know, because I was so relaxed with zero expectations, I played probably the best squash in my career. Really? That tournament? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It was... It's so funny. Me, like, was, just because uh, you were like, eh, who cares? And like, yeah. instead of... you, yeah, There was no nerves. There was no preconceived thoughts. There was no... I didn't have a chance to go... To overthink anything. I just went out and played... You know, rallies were tough, but that's all it felt like were tough. It wasn't, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is the a critical champs. critical yeah. moment or any of that. I just went and played, and and I loved to volley, and we were playing in Malaysia, and the ball was bouncing, and I'm just hitting the hell out of it and volleying it and loving it. And, Who did you play in the finals? Um, I ended up playing Cassie Jackman because yeah. yeah. Liz Irving had knocked out Michelle Martin in the quarters. Mm-hmm. Then Cassie... Went and beat Liz. Uh, I think Cassie may have beaten Sue Wright in her semi. And then I beat Cassie Three Love. But I just, it was something about it. I, I was just so relaxed and 
and uh, I could see the ball like it was a basketball. And even then, for the match, I think I made one or two mistakes, and it was in the third game. And it was I um, in that third game, right? I played a boast, and I went, "Don't play the boast." Next rally, I played another boast, and I got it wrong. I hit the tin, or Cassie you was there it. and just right. got it so easily, and I'm like, "Cut the boast." And it was the only time she got above me. It was like 4-3 to her. And I cut the boast out. And then I won the game like 9-4. Something like that. And Jonah Barrington came down. He said, he came down. I'd probably seen him prior to that. And didn't really know him or hadn't met him at all. And he came down and he said, that was perfect. That was the most clinical squash I'd seen from me, whatever, at that moment. And I was just, oh, my God, Jonah Barrington. And... Uh, and yeah, so it ended up being that I just I played well. It was once again I'd seen the ball like a basketball, so it was, it was a great match. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all psychological. Yeah, yeah. and like it, getting your wisdom teeth out actually helped. It did, I know. And this is the thing that same sister when I got home she went, "What happened to you being absolute rubbish?" I went, "Yeah, yeah, it's funny." <laughs> so all we could do was laugh about it. So. Um, so what, what about the story about none of your kit showing up? Okay, that's 2002. Right, right. That's uh, in Qatar. So I was in England on, say, the Saturday night, and I was flying Sunday. Most other players had flown on the Saturday, and I thought, I'm just going to go Sunday, and the tournament literally starts uh, the Monday. And I was comfortable with that because I knew I could win my first round. So, so this, you, you were supposed to show up like 20 hours before your first match? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's only a four or five hour time difference or something, but I knew I was comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. And it could have been, in hindsight, it's probably a bit stupid, but... Um, <laughs> and the Saturday I went to the movies, and as I got home from What'd the movies... What did you see? I can't remember. In London or in Reading? Just in Reading. In Reading. And um, so I got home from the movies at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm due to get up at sort of Early. 7 in the morning yeah. to catch a 10 o'clock out of Heathrow, something like that. And as I get home, I'm like, wow, it's windy tonight. 3 o'clock in the morning, the wind is, is um, rattling the windows. It's whistling. Wakes you up? It wakes me up and I thought, ugh. Okay, back to sleep. Get up at seven, driving to the airport, and I'm looking around, and you're just sort of sitting there, and you're looking around. I went, I haven't actually seen a plane, but as soon as I thought that, I saw a plane. And it was still unbelievably windy, and for some reason, the roads were really quite clear. And I'm going, this is, well, it is Sunday, so I'm going, okay, it's Sunday, right. it's fine. No and I get to Heathrow, I check in, no one has said a word about anything. I've checked in. My bag has literally just gone down the belt. So what do you have with you? Um, just I like have, a, a purse or something or, or uh, got, backpack? Yeah, just a handbag and my racket bag. So it was when I could still carry a racket bag. What's in the racket bag? Racket bag, uh, three or four rackets and shoes and makeup. That's about it. The important things. The important things. Essentials. Essentials. And then, so my bag has literally just gone down the conveyor belt. And I that's got around. everything else. That's got everything. Clothes, everything. you name it, the works. 
I turn around to double check the screen for my gate and etc. Mm. And as I'm looking at it, and I've just found, you know, Doha, Qatar, it goes cancel, cancel, cancel from top to bottom. And I'm oh like, my God. Oh, this is a problem. Uh, no, tell a lie. I've just gone through customs as well. So then I double check the yeah, screen. Right. Cancel, to which cancel. Gate? Yeah. So I'm already through. So I've got nowhere to go. And you could see the whole airport had, you know, however many thousand people have all just gone. Ah. So they've all made their way to a desk to figure it, it out. out. I'm standing in this line. My phone, I didn't charge it the night before. That's about to cark it. Um, I'm in a line. I get close-ish to the front. And I said to the girl, look, I can solve my problem. If you let me in the first class lounge, I can make my flight change online. She says, done. Like, I'm one less person for her to deal with. I go into first class. I make a, uh, a change online and I speak to someone for British Airways. They at least put me on exactly the same flight on the Monday. Okay. But I'm playing Monday at one o'clock. One o'clock, Doha time. Doha time. Who are you playing, by the way? Um, Hugelin van Horn of the Netherlands. Okay. But the plane doesn't even get there till one o'clock or something is the landing time. So we knew I was stuffed. So somewhere along the way, I make phone calls to Andrew Shelley and I go, and I get hold of Andrew. He's already down in Doha. And I said, um, and, and I've got the help of Jonah Barrington, my manager at the time, a couple of members probably at uh, Cavisham as well as um, uh, whoever, uh, Heather, um, who was running our office. Oh, I've forgotten Heather's surname right now. And they're all making phone calls. They get hold of Andrew. Andrew finally gets back to me and he says, all right, what we're going to do, because it's out of your control with the weather, you're at one o'clock, we're going to push you back to the last match of the day. It's 7 p.m. You've got to be but here But that's for it. That. That's it. There's no more. Like, he can't push you the next day. No, can't be done. And the other thing is what in my baggage is my all my kit, but I've also got the World Open trophy. I'm bringing it back to The Dover. permanent trophy. Yeah, the perpetual. So that's also gone. In the luggage. Yeah, yeah. It's got its own box. <laughs> it's got its own box, so that's gone as well. <coughs> anyway, so I changed my flight online. I've had the conversation with Andrew. Someone in the queue has loaned me their um, charger. I charge my phone. I finally get to the front of the... BA desk and I went uh, can you just get me anywhere to the Middle East if you can't get me to Doha and he goes well actually there's a flight going to Dubai today and I went good just put me on it and he goes but you still got to get to Doha I said it doesn't matter when I land yeah. I'll figure that one out get a camel and go go across the desert and while I'm standing in that lounge I see um, container trolley things just getting blown across uh, Heathrow's tarmac and and one of the doors, they're trying to open a door to put luggage and stuff in. This door's giving it one of these because the wind is that bad that I think, uh, you know, it's damaging planes and I think one of the petrol trucks got bashed and blown into a plane and all sorts of horrible stuff was happening. So anyway, as I'm sitting there in the next few hours, it's starting to push 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Um, you finally see a plane land and the... The reason I was able to get on planes and people, they were able to help certain people out is planes weren't coming in and planes weren't getting out. All the freeways were blocked with trees over roads and accidents. So Heathrow was really quiet in comparison to normal because people couldn't get in or out. They couldn't even get there. 
then anyway, I eventually get on this plane. It's it was a shocking flight. It took off really really late, and it landed at five six seven in the morning in um, Dubai. Dubai. I land, I obviously don't have a visa or luggage or and I'm on the wrong plane and all this sort of stuff and I don't have a forwarding ticket. Right. So I get pulled into the customs hall and he said, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm actually trying to get to Doha. I said, I'm pretty sure you know about all the problems at Heathrow. And he's, yes. And I said, I just need to buy a one-way ticket to Doha. And he's like, why would I want to sell you a one-way ticket? And I had to explain stuff. And luckily, in my racket bag I had the program and some information about the worlds with a photo of you or something and I pretty well did I had to pull this thing out and go that's me I gotta be in Doha and he seriously said, seriously and I'm literally smiling at him going and do I he, look like this photo he, and I could see him kind of look at me his eyes crinkled and kind of scratches his head for a second he goes fine so he put me on the I don't know, 7 a.m., 8 a.m. or whatever. So you didn't have a long layover? No, not too bad. Um, Just that little bit of messing about. Waited for that plane. Dumps me on the plane. I get to Doha. They pick me up. I go home. What time do you land at Doha? Mm, uh, Would you have made the 1 o'clock match? I might have. I might have. But obviously I've had near to no sleep and a bit of an interesting day. Yeah. And... Then I get there. Of course, I've got no clothes, no squash clothes, because yeah. I know my baggage is gone. Oh, and prior to all that, they've let me out of the customs hall back into the main part of Heathrow so I can go put in baggage claim to try to find my bags. They just looked at me and laughed and said, look, honey, there's a million bags out the back. There's no chance. And I went, any idea when this will get sorted? No. I went, fine. Right. So I've gone back through customs. Uh, so I'm in Heathrow. I managed to buy a little top that I can wear on the squash court. That they were selling in Heathrow? Oh, yeah. It was more like a, yeah, you know, like, like a two times you or Under Armour or something like that. So I bought literally an Under Armour T-shirt or something. And um, I should say Salming. Salming T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then when I get down there, I wake up and everyone, of course, is curious as to what's going on. And I tell them my story and then I'm like, I've got absolutely still no clothes. I went, um, Lee, Lee Beachall and Nick Matthew, can you lend me a shirt and shorts and stuff? So the boys have lent me a shirt and shorts because they, they were sponsored by um, Dunlop and High Tech and all that as well. Right. So they had training clothes with all were, the Were you in the labels. hotel or were you yeah. at the venue? You were at no, the, hotel. the hotel. You are going around the hotel like asking Pretty people much. for gear. Pretty much. Like knocking on doors. Yeah. And Tanya Bailey was sponsored the same as me. So I said, Tanya, can you loan me a skirt? And she goes, yeah, sure. And she loaned me also um, some squash knickers, but she only had white ones, and I didn't want to wear the white ones under a black skirt. And I didn't think about it clearly, and I went, don't worry, I don't need your squash knickers sort of thing. And... Bong, bong. Bong, bong. I think that's a mistake. (laughs) We'll we'll find out in one minute. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then... um, so I'm then at the squash courts and I'm with Isabel Stowe, French girl, and Isabel's just shaking her head, laughing about it the whole time. And I finally get to the courts for my match. Hugh Galeen's obviously a bit annoyed that I've 
one that I've made it be, her match has been changed. And right, she was excited she was going to the second like, round of the world champs. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, and she's also thinking by the time she plays me, maybe my head is screwed, right? Which yeah, it is, it, yeah. Well, it kind of wasn't. I was okay about it all. I was laughing, actually. And um, anyway, I go to get dressed. So I've got Isabel's bra on, sports bra. I put on my new little salming top. I put Tanya's skirt on, and then I'm like, bollocks, I really should have borrowed her squash knickers. I've only got a G-string. And... And... Uh, Isabel's looking at me going... It's good for everyone if she's playing a drop shot. <laughs> Everyone's enjoying themselves if there's a drop shot. Well, especially you're, you're in Doha. I'm I mean, in Doha, like right? Worst, so it's yeah. bad. This isn't the same... You know, she's got a burper on, but she's wearing a G-string as well for <laughs> everyone to enjoy. And then I say to Isa, I went, what are you wearing? She says, oh, tracksuit pants and sort of knickers. Yeah. And I went, get them off. And she goes, what, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, get them off. I need him, and she's like... Has she already played her match? Uh, yes, I think so. Right. So she's well, just walking around. Yeah, I was the last match, so she's just walking around yeah. after it. And, and she's just looked at me, and she starts chuntering away in French and laughing and drops her pants and gives me her undies, and and then I play. And then while did, I'm just out to, there, Since we're on the subject, did the bra fit? Like, where were Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. So Isa's... Is, yeah, Isa's about... Okay. You know, she's a little bit smaller than me, but it didn't matter if it didn't yeah. fit. It was like... I'm out there, I play, Hugeline's even more annoyed because uh, I end up playing quite well and beating her three love and she's like, I can hear her muttering away in, mm. in Dutch and whatever. And then, um, so I get through that match, I tell Steve Lyon he's not allowed to take photographs because I'm obviously in all the wrong gear, I'm right. Andrew Shelley, you understand my situation, please don't find me for not having... Proper um, gear. Whisper on my shirt, and because all the girls are meant to wear the. That's right, your name the, on the yeah. back or whatever, yeah. All that stuff. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, then my manager arrives a day later or whatever, and he brings me gear. I'm like, oh, thank God. He flew out. Is, he was coming out always. And, is but he's. Paul? Yeah. So he's, he flew He flew in and ran Not deliberately, he was coming anyway. Wait, and he went to your. Place he went and got gear. stuff. Yeah, so he got my stuff. But of course, being a bloke, all he did was bring me a squash dress. He didn't think about. He bought the lingerie. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, she'll need this for sure. <laughs> More this is essential. <laughs> but of course, he didn't bring the right gear. No, he, he bought me a squash dress. Great, but didn't bring me anything to train in. No change of clothes, and I'm like, useless. <laughs> I was one of those. Do you understand? I've lost everything. He's like. Oh. It's just one of those, oh, oops. Anyway, so then I'm at least playing in the right clothes. Are you still borrowing socks? Oh, I've still got Lee's Lee's stuff and and Nick Taylor's stuff and Isabel's stuff. And I've given Tanya back her skirt now, of course. And um, anyway, the matches go on. Every day I'm phoning up about, is my bags arrived? And they're, oh, no, no, I'm not here. What is BA or? BA and Doha Airport. And finally, it gets to... And the funny thing is, I end up having conversation with the man at the airport, who's the luggage man, and I say, hi, and he kind of knows who we are because it's all through the papers and the media. Oh, it was? Oh, great. And I said, look, I'm great. playing the squash tournament. He goes, oh, yes, I see. And I went, well, that's me, and that's, can have my bags turn up. No, ma'am, no, not turn I said, you understand how important it is? And he goes, yes, ma'am, I understand. And it was all this sort of thing, and every day I had this conversation. 
finally my bags arrive on the BA flight that's come in on the semi-finals night. And he said, ma'am, ma'am, I'll deliver it. I went, nope, I'm coming. So I went out to the airport. I grabbed everything. I got back to the hotel at, say, 11 o'clock at night. The bit I've missed too. So while I'm in the change rooms and I'm busy, Isabel, give me your knickers, I pull my shoes out of my bag and I'm like, oh, my God. The right ones? Yeah, I've got a brand new left one and an old right one. Well, at least you have the. At not, least I got left and right. <laughs> yeah. I know. But they they got mismatched somehow. Somehow I got I mismatched them, and that's unusual. Yeah. So I'm looking at this, just going, oh, for God's sake! So one's this bright, shiny white one, and the other ones. Oh, they're different and, colors, and like well, are they the same shoe? Same shoe, but you could tell one's right. very but, new, okay, but they the other ones, thing. yeah. And um, high tech, high tech, and anyway, so here I am, clod hopping around in a new and an old and. So then it gets to the finals. Uh, it gets to semis. I bring the stuff back. I hand the trophy to Andrew. <laughs> they, I go, got, they got it arrived before the finals, well, right? Well, I went to bed at midnight, so I've turned up for my practice at ten in the morning or whatever. I went, "Here's the trophy." They're like, "Awesome!" Thanks very much. They've cleaned it. They've put it out. I'm back on court with Granger by I don't know two o'clock or something, and I'm finally dressed with your gear. everything, all of mine. So great. And I've decided, I've decided I'm going to wear my new shoes. No, I decided I'd start with my old shoes. I'm going to start comfortable. So I go out there. I'm too love up on Granger. Once again, scores maybe four all or something. And I slip on the court. And I'm like, oh, I have no idea how I misstepped so badly. Another rally. I've hit a boast. And I went, that didn't go the way it would. Um, and I've slipped again and something... And then Granger's woken up. I've started complaining about the court. And I said, there's something wrong here. But I couldn't work out what it was because it was my feet that were slipping. And at the moment, the ball wasn't slipping. That's what it was. And then Granger, they said to the ref, has to, both players have to agree, right? right? She says, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Rallies go on. She's smart. She starts playing drop Short shots stuff. off the back wall and little boasts and... And I can't move off the tee to get it and stuff like this. My natural instinct is to want to play long and deep rather than trying to rip it around like she is. And it didn't work for me. She goes 7-4 up. or No, she won the game about 9-4 or 5 mm. or something. I've changed shoes. I've put on my new ones. I'm thinking, wow, they've really gone suddenly. Gets to, I don't know, a few points into the fourth game. I'm quite stressed because I know something's wrong. I can't piece it together. Is this Playing the same crap. game that Granger was talking about? Mm. Yeah, pretty much. That's right, same match. And then yeah. um, I play a boast and or something and Granger goes to move and she just slips completely and goes bang and hits the ground really hard because there's just she's just made a movement and her feet have gone under her like ice skates. And finally I've turned around and I'm like... See? Now do you believe me? There's something wrong here. And she's on the ground going, because oh, she's hit the ground hard. Finally, Andrew Shelley comes down. He goes, yeah, okay, we've worked it out. It's the condensation, but it's okay. it hit the floor first, then the walls. Which is never, both, yeah, it was so weird. unusual. And... So you waited half an hour or something? Yeah, it was kind of... Yeah, we, so we come off. They've cleared the stadium and cranked up the air conditioning, got it back to normal. We've got to try and stay you know, warmed up as such. And, yeah, we're out by about 30 minutes or so. Wow. 
come back in, they let everyone in. It's round about four all. Granger and I have a couple of really tough rallies because she's feeling good when we walked off and confident. My head's a bit screwed. We have a couple of really tough rallies. I think I get the better of her in one particular rally. And in my head, this is my conversation. I could feel it like, okay, go. And off I went again. And I went from, say, four all, five, four, six, four, seven, whatever it was, and I won. I think I, I think the last game might have been nine, seven. So I think we were neck so, and neck. Yeah. We had a couple of tough rallies. I got the better of her and then just won the last few rallies and won at nine, seven. And that was my wills. So Andrew gave me back the trophy, which he'd had possession of for about like four that. hours, and then <laughs> Granger and I, the... Granger and I, jump on a plane together and fly back to the UK. <laughs> and that was our story. And she whinged at me the whole way because she was going, "Fitz, don't retire." And I'm going, "Sorry, mate." And she goes, "No." Well, at that point, retire. at that point, you were on this unbelievable run, like historic mm. run, where you didn't lose a Wispa match. For like a year and a half. Something like that. It was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I'd lost one match in 2001 and it was against uh, Leilani Joyce in Hong Kong. Mm. And it was in five. And it was the only tournament I didn't have anyone in my corner. No coach, no manager. And we learnt from that. Probably the right thing to do is just keep the routine going. Yeah. Don't, you know, not quite right. in a ma- such a major event to not be on my own. So it was the only one I lost, I think, in... Two, yeah, two years or more. Right. Mm. It was incredible. Mm. Over two years. Yeah. Mm. So there were uh, 2001, 2002 were fantastic years. I had really, really... Um, no injuries. No injuries, uh, strong results, loved it, and just working hard. I was traveling everywhere. Like I was coming to the States a lot for... Um... Oh, here's another good one. I've got a story for you. Um, sorry, no, this is... I like this one is I was in England, I'm playing National League, which is on a Tuesday night. So I'd play National League Tuesday, I'd jump on a plane Wednesday, get to New York, come play, say... Um, Carawaiamala. Mola, Play Sunday final, jump on a plane back to England, land Monday, go to sleep, get up Tuesday, play National League. On Wednesday, jump on a plane, flew back, went to Connecticut. For the... Um, uh, up in... Um, for the... Uh, uh, no, no, uh... Rennick, uh, Where Rennick Rob Kryzak ran it the, at the uh, Round Hill. He was at the he was at Round Hill. No, but it was the that, it was you the, know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Yes, I can't I can't remember the um, Anyway, I know. Yep. What's, In, the, what's the city? What's no no not Greenwich? What's what's the biggest city? Stanford. No. Hartford. Hartford. It was Hartford. So I'd go back to Hartford, say <coughs> on the Wednesday. Get up there, play, make the final Sunday, jump on a plane Sunday night. So I had to get back to New York, jump on the plane Sunday night, get back. Played National League on the Tuesday, Yorkshire League on the Wednesday or something. Go down to Germany for Bundesliga on, say, the Friday to play Saturday, Sunday to get back to England to then on the Tuesday come back to North America. And But because of... Being fit and confident and happy and healthy, I was able to do it. So that's an incredible. Yeah, month. it was, and I, I remembered waking up after all that, going, "Wow, you know, that was pretty amazing." And um, but uh, you know, I I love that story just because when you're happy and healthy and yeah. you're feeling good and confident, you can, you can do anything. You can do anything. Right, and if you had a little niggling injury, oh, you'd be a nightmare, and you'd, you'd be, be pulling like out of that, and yeah. you'd just be losing, and you're more miserable and all downhill. Yeah. 
So why did you retire? I mean, you're at this amazing moment, historic moment, where you're just like winning tournament after tournament. I think um, <coughs> when it was 2001, when I won in Melbourne, um, mm. there was such a relief to one in my hometown because right. they put the event on for me. Right. And when that happened I could really feel and I, I, I mentally I was probably at one of the strongest I'd ever been in 2001 yeah. and when I'd won it was such a relief I really felt my shoulders drop and then after that I knew I just wanted to go to Com Games in Manchester yeah. and I hadn't really looked beyond that and I, I never really believed in setting goals and that far ahead but somehow Subconsciously, I had the goal of I wanted to go to Com Games, and yeah, once I did yeah. win Com Games, once again my shoulders dropped so much. Um, it was like it was it was over. I was done. So everyone kept saying to me, "You need to play a little bit longer. You've got to win one more Worlds, equal Susan Devoy, or better Susan Devoy, and play for Australia in the team event." And I'm like, "This is going to be really hard." And it was. It got harder and harder to just wake up every morning. And go training and whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I survived uh, in September. I won my 60th Whisper title right. Um, right. in France down in Antibes. And it was on a glass court on the beach in Lovely. Antibes. It was yeah. a beautiful, fantastic location. So that was like, okay, tick, that's done. Then it was, got through the team event. Um, the team event was interesting because in my head I was having to say to myself, right, you've only got to get through two matches, New Zealand, Carol Owens, and the way it was, it was England, Linda Charman. New Zealand ended up losing from memory mm. to, unexpectedly, I think it was, to to England. So in mm. the end, I only ended up having to survive one match against Linda, and I got <coughs> through it. So I'm like, right. Australia won the team event, so that was done. And it's like, right, it's just Qatar now, I've got to get through one more event and I knew once again I've got two matches I probably have to survive which is probably Linda yep. in the semis and Carol Owens in the final so I got through Linda and it was good because once I'd beaten Linda I knew I had one job left so I got one job and um, Granger went and helped me out, she went and beat Carol mm -hmm. so by the time I got to the final I was actually <coughs> That little extra pressure had gone, right. and it wasn't Carol. Right. So I felt good about the match. Then, of course, this drama all happened. So, yeah. And I, I just knew I was done, I think. I'd, you were 35? Almost? I was about that, 34 or so, and yeah. I just knew I needed a break. And I guess the truth is I was world number one. I was president. Um, I was the age I was, and I just needed the break. And if the rules, maybe, I could have taken time out. Yeah. Right. After about eight months, I actually thought I could Take do this own. again. Yeah. And But then I thought, no, it's not right because I was world number one and I'm president. I think it looks pretty bad coming back. And mm. it looked... And by then, my ranking had gone from... I literally went from one. And I said to Andrew, the moment I dropped, my ranking drops from number one, pull me off the list. And it only stayed there for about two or three months or something. So he pulled my name off the list, but it would have gone one, two, to about 20, to about 30, to about 90 or something really quick. And I went, yep. do I want to start down at, down at 100? Yeah. And yep. 
it's not that I couldn't have done it. I just didn't think it was right for the, for the it, game. I thought it would look terrible, so yeah. I didn't do it. Well, one of the interesting things was after you did retire, um, I don't think it was for a couple more years, but you did, I mean, you, did you start coaching right away? No, I did a year of fun. So I went and played things like the Dubai Threes and the, I went to Hong Kong and I went to Alaska. And a couple of years later, I went and played Jarvis down in South Africa. Yeah. And I did an exhibition here and I played more National League. Yeah. Wasn't training, but just playing. Having fun. And yeah. having fun. Then I got involved with a bit of emceeing and commentating and stuff for the British and other events like that. Right. Um, and what else was I doing? Um, and then I'd started doing some coaching, like... I was basically still living in England, so um, I was helping train some of the young English players. So I spent a lot of time on court with Laura Massaro. Right. I was about to say, like, you ended up mentoring this next generation. Yeah. You know, on court training with. Yeah. So, you know, Laura and and, and then Nicole, obviously. And and Nicole. So Liz Irving, um, yeah, said, uh, sent Nicole down to Melbourne. So I did some exhibitions and stuff with her in Canada and then she came to Melbourne and we trained together and um, and so, yeah, it was a real mixture of stuff. So yeah, doing some stuff with England squash and, of course, as an Aussie, I felt a little bit bad about that. I rang Jeff Hunt and I went, you know, Jeff, this is what I've been offered. <clears throat> you know, what, what do you say? And he goes, you've got my blessing. Australia can't afford that. I can't pay you to do something similar. Right. Off you go. And I went, thank you. Okay, this is what I'll do. Um, and, I mean, there was a bunch of girls that I was hitting with in um, the north of England because mm. that's where I was at the time. And But Laura is the most distinctive one that right. came through there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Laura and I are good friends today. So she's a lovely girl. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so Nicole, then I did bits and pieces of coaching with um, Victorian, which is my state yeah. team. Um, world yeah. junior team, world senior team, Australian senior team, and then um, and then there's always just been that little bit here and there of commentating and emceeing. Um, and now, well, yeah. the, you know, talking to Nicole about it, like, and everybody was saying this, like, well, like, you know, you're in your 40s, you've been retired forever, and yet, like, you were totally, like, good staying with these girls. Hmm. I could still play. I mean, you know, maybe mm. you couldn't play tournament after tournament, mm. match after match, night after night. But skill-wise, you were right there. Yeah, for a while I was... Um, so some neat. of the girls were coming out to Melbourne because the Australian Open was, um, yeah. you know, it was like a $50,000 tournament or whatever. And some of the girls would come down and I'd go on court with them. And, yeah, I was holding my own against totally. them. Yeah. yeah. and um, There was this rumor going around for years, you know, like, she should come back. She's, you know, able to... Yeah. I know. People said, why don't you? But it's like... No, with the training. I mean, you know. Yeah. You well, it's the training. It's travel. your body. It's the travel. It's yeah. I'm married. It's like, what do you do? He yeah. would have divorced me if I kept going away too much. <laughs> yeah. So even the look on his face says it. <laughs> That's not true. I wouldn't have divorced him. He would have travelled with me. That's right. Yeah. No, it was, it was just, it wasn't, it didn't feel right to keep going away. I'd done all that. And, yeah. And it was time to move on. And yeah. I didn't want to try to make a comeback and be losing to people I know I should beat just because I'm a bit older, slower. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. whatever those decisions. Oh, and you've played the World Masters a bunch now, right? You've Loved it. Three Loved of it. Them, um, four of them, one of them, eight of them. Uh, what is it? I've, yeah, I played a couple of British over 35s. Right. Um, I did World Masters games, a couple of those. Right. And, right. and World Masters. Yeah, you've done a bunch. Yeah, I haven't done it regularly, but yeah. um, I went to South Africa. I've done Hong Kong and South Africa again. That sounds a bit, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 Is that. Um, because you just have this love of competition or is it because you love the community and the world masters is this great moment where the world comes together? It's the community more. Um, the competition, I love playing for playing and it's always nice to win something, but none of my competitors have come out of, out of the woodwork yet. So, um, you know, it'd be really interesting to have some of the girls I grew up with who are still in my age group to come back and play, but, you know. Just putting the challenge out there. <laughs> putting it out there, Carol Owens. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle. Yeah, Michelle. yeah. Let's go, guys. Yeah. Cassie, on. come on. Yeah, that's right. But, um, you know, Ranger and I played in uh, Hong Kong and we played in South Africa and people kept saying, you know, Fitz, why don't you play down an age group and, mm. and play Natalie? We would love to see you play Natalie. And yep. we're like, we're there for a good time, not right. a hard time. So why would I play down an age group? That's right. You know, we're here to have fun. And about the Masters is I really, really enjoy, as you say, the community, the people. And the people that bother to jump on a plane to go halfway around the world to play squash and then have a holiday, which... That means they're all very like-minded people. It means they've got a very understanding husbands or wives or whatever to allow them to go on holiday and play right. squash for literally a week. And That's obviously right. they use squash as an excuse to, to go see the world and have some fun and catch up with friends. And, yeah. and I know with the next one coming up in Charlottesville, the amount of us that are talking and communicating on Facebook and stuff with, are you going? Oh, come on, you've got to come down. You'll, you'll see everyone and such and such is going and we'll be there and this is what we're doing on our way to Charlottesville. So it's a real discussion thing yeah. and um, yeah. it's going to be huge. Yeah. It always is. It's so much fun. Yeah. And the exactly. amount of new people you meet, it's great. Right. Right. It's not only the community that you know, but it's all the new people. Yeah. And I haven't been to Charlottesville, so it's another little, you know, yeah. pin in the go. map and tick and whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and we're, we're making a bit of a holiday of it. So I've got a group of 14 of us going. We're going to go to Vegas and do all you should do in Vegas, uh, Charlottesville, back to New York for a few days. and Because all of them haven't actually done the States before. So they'll do the Big Apple and do what you got to do in New York. And then we go home. Outside of the glass, would like to thank squashproshop.com and Grant Irving, our esteemed producer, as well as Laurel Holly, who handles all the social media for Outside the Glass. So every time you retweet or like or share um, a posting uh, about Outside the Glass, you are furthering Laurel's good work. Next month, we're going to have a, uh, uh, a double shot episode of. Um, Uh, two people talking about dancing so that should be fun Uh, all right have fun down in charlottesville